Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. So let's welcome Lourdes Fuentes Slater, founder and CEO of Carta Legal. Carta Legal is a legal operations and law firm management consulting firm, and Lourdes has been named Trailblazer by the New York Bar Journal for being an agent of change, a thought leader and an innovator. So I'm really excited to welcome Lourdes today to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Davina, it's great to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. Um, I always enjoy conversations with other um, women leaders in the industry, so I am very excited to be here today. Wonderful. I'm excited to have you here, too, and uh, lots of questions. So I want to start out talking about just, you could just tell us uh, uh, briefly uh, what law, what CARTA Legal is and what it does. I know that you blend law and tech in a really interesting way. So if you could just share with everybody what that is. Um, I will. So CART Legal is um, a consulting firm. We provide independent advice to both law firms and legal departments on how to innovate, not only by using technology and what type of technology they need to be using now, but also by looking at the way that they do things and improving upon those legal processes. So my consulting firm is a little different from other consulting firms because one, um, we do not own any proprietary technology ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a preferred vendor list, but we also work with any um, technology vendor out there uh, that could be a potential fit for our client. And second, because we have a very particular expertise in legal project management and Lean Six Sigma, which is a process improvement methodology. Mm -hmm. I have a black belt in Lean Six Sigma, and I use those methodologies, including agile project management, to improve processes. Because I think the key to any successful innovation is to follow the what I call the CARTA path, which really includes um, innovating your people, um, innovating your processes, and innovating your technology. So it's a holistic approach. Wonderful. I definitely want to dig more into that and learn more about it and how it can help our listeners. Uh, before we do, I'd like to know a little bit more about you personally and uh, your journey to being the founder of this company. So have you, uh, what led you to create this business and how did you discover that there was this need? Well, it's a pretty long story. Let me, I guess, break it down into little components. Um, When I graduated law school many moons ago, um, lawyers really practice uh, practice law without using much technology at all. Mm -hmm. And back in the early 2000s, when 
discovery really was the first piece of uh, process or face of the legal industry that was the main target of technology companies because mm -hmm. when discovery became when documents were all digital discovery became extremely challenging and that was my first sort of involvement with with law plus technology i started becoming um, an e-discovery expert and if, if you know what that means is basically using document review platforms to do uh, due diligence, to review your client's files, to make productions, to prepare your case for um, factual deposition and for expert deposition and ultimately for trial. Mm -hmm. So my journey really began um, first as a litigator um, and then as an e-discovery expert. When I had already been doing e-discovery for a while and when I started e-discovery, there we didn't call it e-discovery. We didn't have a litigation support department. We still had not created the processes that we have today where we have the vendor plus a law firm's litigation support department plus the lawyers working together. So I started sort of understanding that to be able to provide the best services for our clients, we needed not only lawyers, but we needed technology experts and we needed paralegals um, and other litigation support personnel that was trained to use technology in a way that lawyers had not been trained to do so in law school. Mm -hmm. Subsequent to that, um, I was retained by the maid of trustee um, and his count to create um, a discovery management team uh, with, with a select group of people um, and that was the first time where I separated um, litigation duties from legal operations and logistics. Uh, the discovery management team in the Madoff case um, was a brilliant move by um, lead counsel and the trustee because it allowed the litigators to focus on the substantial um, claims of the case and sort of carved out the processes that could be carved out and were handed to a discovery management team. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, we were able to really move the ball pretty fast and create um, tracking tools and mechanisms and virtual discovery uh, document review platforms and claim forms online for people to file uh, their claims and created different processes, um, you know, created contract attorney teams to handle the very heavy volume litigation component of that case. And I think that sort of opened my eyes to the need for me to upskill myself and become uh, an expert in project management um, and an expert in process improvement. Uh, and I did so by getting certified in legal project management and going through the steps and ultimately becoming a Lean Six Sigma black belt. Right. Fast forward a little bit, um, I became the, the creator of the logistics and the handling of the um, residential mortgage-backed securities uh, cases that are filed by my firm, Grace and Ellsworth. And that firm was really um, 
an amalgamation of lawyers from big law that got together to sue the banks. So we created this boutique litigation firm um, and the head of the firm wanted the firm to remain very lean and very small and do a lot with less. Um, and that sort of became my job. How do we do this case with, you know, 25 attorneys going up against all of the major investment banks in the world and then the big uh, major law firms um, in, in New York City um, with with the team that we had. And we indeed did that and we're extremely successful in those cases. Um, our clients were the, the FDIC um, and a couple of federal home loan banks. Um, so it was uh, another sort of successful experience in, in what technology can do and what the ability to separate litigation itself or lawyering itself from, from the, the logistics where you require a different type of expertise and skill set. Right, right. So you, did you, were you doing this in working in the, through your law firm and, and the boutique firm is set up? Uh, yes. Or had you already started Carta Legal? No. Carta Legal, Carta Legal was um, launched about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's going to be close to two years. Um, so it was after I did this for two big law firms in two really large cases, which is, I think, the reason that I was named a trailblazer was really for my work in those two um, big cases. And And what I thought is... Instead of finding another firm with one big case, one big problem like Madoff or RMBS, um, where I can be the lead, you know, chief innovation officer, um, I want to be able to provide those services um, and legal departments um, that are interested in innovation, um, opposed to, um, you know, when 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 you join firms and and your role is to really innovate from within. Uh, some firms may may not be ready, and there are a lot of challenges that are involved with that. And I also thought that that would limit my ability to to impart. Um, everything that I have learned to a broader audience. I mean, really my goal is to educate um, the broader audience. It's not really to help one particular um, client in one particular problem. It's really to to make the the pitch and and the, the statement that we as lawyers must have as our mission to improve our processes and innovate the way that we practice law because technology, uh, the technology that is available right now will allow us and is allowing us to provide services in a much more efficient and um, speedily manner than we ever did before. And for the most part, lawyers are not really cut up with that technology at all. And that's my goal with CARTA. Right, right. I do think, you know, as attorneys, um, it, it is it is going to be, has been, and is going to continue to be the challenge of the future is how we have to start rethinking how we, how we function as business owners when and that's going to require something different than the lawyer mindset, right? So you have lawyers if you're owning a business, you're growing a business, you have to start looking at uh, 
things from that with that CEO hat on and saying, how can we continue to innovate beyond, I think most people, when they think of technology and lawyers, they think of, you know, I'm going to, I've got the laptop and I can, everything's in the cloud and, and, you know, these are, in, everybody has a cell phone and these are innovations, right? But what you're talking about goes much deeper than that, where you're looking at, uh, at your systems on, on a systemic level and saying, how do we use technology for our fulfillment and production, right? Right. So and it's a very broad topic and it's a very broad concept, but mm -hmm. you mentioned something when you were talking that I want to emphasize, which is, and this is related to when you're starting your business or when you have a, a small firm and you want to compete with the bigger fish, I think mm -hmm. technology is the great equalizer. And that is one thing that we cannot lose sight of because I think in my own personal experience, um, we have proven in our cases how we can litigate um, being a small firm against all of the major um, institutions and, and law firms in the world by really instituting um, efficient technology and methodologies. Mm -hmm. It really levels the playing field. And for any woman or minority-owned business or smaller business that wants to compete and wants to get those types of clients, it's something that cannot be ignored. The return on your investment on technology innovation from you know document management, contract management, um, automation, the, the return on the investment that you can have on that is enormous, not only in terms of saving money, but in terms of allowing you to compete at a speed um, and at an efficiency level uh, as, as the big firms do, and sometimes more leanly and, and you're more agile and flexible because you're um, smaller and you can make quicker decisions. Right, right. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think you are definitely uh, in the hot in the hot spot right now. I want to talk about the um, the systems that you use. So I, let's dive into Lean Six Sigma and talk about that and tell us what what that is. For people who don't know, tell us what that is. Lean Six Sigma is really a process improvement methodology. It is a way, and it really started in manufacturing. Um, because the, the car manufacturing companies, for example, needed mm -hmm. to become more efficient. Um, and it's based on a lot of uh, Japanese uh, lean thinking as well. And, and when you, Six Sigma really means to try to eliminate defects to 3.4 defects in 1 million units. That is what Six Sigma actually means. Wow. Um, lean is a process whereby you remove all of the waste in your process so that you can add value to your client. And value basically means anything that your client is willing to pay for. And when I say your client is willing to pay for, I mean that your cl client knows exactly how it is that you're doing your work and your client is willing to pay for that. So we need to eliminate the waste in your process so that 
the, the service that you are providing, the work product that you're providing to your client, removes those waste components and tries to make it as precise as possible. Of course, in law, you know, 3.4 defects per 1 million units is, is not really even realistic or um, makes any sense, right? Because even right. not producing, you know, three documents in error in a million, it's a very expensive challenge. But it's, it's sort of looking at where you can reduce error by improving systems. And, and Lean Six Sigma gives you different tools. Um, we use, we're a big fan of the Kaizen event, which really means um, a team meeting, cross-functional team meeting. If you're in a law firm, you would include your IT people, the, you know, the people in your, the lawyers in your case, maybe paralegal, paralegals or litigation support personnel, um, everyone getting together and sort of mapping out anything. It could be how you file a complaint. It could be how you do due diligence. It could be how you produce documents. Um, figure out what a pain or pressure point in your work, daily workload or project is, mm -hmm. and try to map it out. So we actually, it's, it's a very, it's a fun exercise. There's brainstorming techniques that we use, and we map out the process, the way you're doing it. And then we start challenging the different components of that process to see if there are ways to make that process better. Um, and by doing so, we, we find out where mistakes are happening and, and why. Um, for example, in a document review process, you may find out that the document review is taking too long because you may not be using the right document re review platform. You may not be using um, analytics or artificial intelligence that you may already be paying for and you are not even aware that you're paying for that. Um, you may have um, too many contract attorneys reviewing documents, but not enough of your own attorneys doing the QC process. So there may be too, too many errors. Um, yeah. Errors need to be caught early so that the artificial intelligence tool can learn from, from the way that you want to do things. So there's all kinds of things that we discover by doing this, this Kaizen meeting, or it's really a team meeting, um, with the right people involved. And the right people involved is also very important because we need a collaboration. Mm -hmm. So tell me what, what size law firm, at what stage in your growth should you be doing these kinds of analyses? Like, you know, if, if this is not, this is not for solos or maybe uh, attorneys with, you know, it's them and some paralegals. If, at what stage of the growth of your firm are we talking about firms that are making $500,000 a year, $1 million a year, $10 million a year, what? No, I, I think that anyone can benefit from technology and it doesn't matter the size of your firm. You need to pause and think about how you're doing your daily activities. For example, um, there was a very, very busy uh, local litigator that was doing a lot of divorce cases. Um, and we figure out that by having an automated intake process and by having templates that were automatically filled out um, and using the seal, 
but it could be many other things, um, as a tool, we were able to make this client a lot more efficient, be able to take a lot more cases um, because his secretary and his paralegal were not overwhelmed with all the paperwork. We reduced the, the cycle time that it took from cases to get from the, the door into his hands. And even then, we created processes, including you know using document management um, and contract management tools to really make him more efficient so that he could do a lot more. Um, and, and these are things that are not very difficult to implement. They're not very costly to implement. Um, and, and I wanted to make that point because it's not that um, you need to be a big firm to acquire some of these technologies. A lot of the licenses and subscriptions are um, based on users. Um, so, so you really need to consider the possibilities within your own law firm, regardless of size. Of course, if you have a really large matter, you can then you know ramp it up and and use more sophisticated tools and you know do Kaizen event and and process mapping and do all kinds of analysis that are more sophisticated. But at any point, I think you can benefit from upskilling your people, um, re reviewing your processes and make them less wasteful, and and considering what technology you should be using. Right, right. I think that's wonderful advice. Um, and uh, the reason I ask that is because I think we're seeing uh, a change happening in the industry with, we've already had so many women law firm owners who choose to start their law firm because they want that flexibility in their schedule and control. And now with the pandemic, uh, COVID happening and people in uh, in various states being kind of forced to work virtually and have distributed teams. Um, I think it's really opened up a lot of people's eyes to alternative ways to function as opposed to the traditional, you know, let's have a building and all be in that building and that's, that's our law firm. Um, and so I can really see people having a strong need for uh, not only leveraging their technology, but really uh, examining and creating processes and systems to deal with people working as distributed teams with remote workers, you know. Are you Absolutely. seeing that? I am seeing that. I think the pandemic is truly the tipping point for legal innovation. I don't think there is any way back. The, the changes that I have seen happening um, during this pandemic were changes that I have been advocating for for years and still were not happening, like e-signing, you know, as, as a matter of course, right. um, using Teams and video conferencing, um, being able to work from home, you know, FaceTime not being so important and being able to prove that you still can do it. All of these changes are happening at a really fast pace, and I think it has opened up um, a really great opportunity to be able to be more mobile um, and for women to have flexibility that they didn't have in, you know, before this year even, because at some firms, unless you're there uh, six days a week, 12 hours a day, they don't think you're doing anything. So this has shown the companies um, how productive 
um, their workforce can be from out of the office. And it also has shown, um, and it's something that has to be uh, spoken about, even though it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to say, it has shown to the law firms how their administrative staff can be cut down and reduced dramatically by using technology in the right way. Right, right. And so you're finding, instead of having a whole lot of what quote unquote warm bodies, which is what a lot of people are, you know, looking for, your hat use can really be selective and have A players on your team and, you know, maximize your technology and run much leaner um, and be more profitable. Right. Exactly. So in many ways, what I advocate for is to look at how to eliminate waste. And a way to do so is by automating processes. When you automate certain processes, your need for um, human workforce is reduced. And the money that you save in that more than pays for the technology itself. So you have to consider all of these things and it provides, I think, opportunity for people that want to create their own businesses to be able to do so with the comfort and the understanding that there, there is um, a technology out there that will assist them in doing so without a huge capital investment mm-hmm. um, in people or resources. So let me ask you this. I imagine that uh, for instance, uh, using myself as an example, I'm an attorney, um, and right, right, now, right now I don't have a, a law firm. I have a wealthy woman lawyer, my coaching and consulting business. But I think that um, I don't think in systems, right? So I've had to, I've had to cultivate that skill to be able to think in a systematic way mm-hmm. because it's just sort of not my natural inclination. And I think there are a lot of lawyers, well, I know there are because I've had conversations with so many in the work we do together um, who don't have a natural inclination to think in terms of systems and processes. Um, we're, you know, we're more want to jump in and get excited about the case. And we want to do the work and all of that. Exactly. But obviously when you become a business owner, you have to start embracing, you know, learning these other skills. But if you have people who are not systems thinkers, where do you suggest that they start with their law firm um, in improving those processes I, and procedures? I suggest they either hire a consultant that can help them with those processes or they become process experts themselves. Mm-hmm. But either or, you need to look at a law firm as a business enterprise. And for that, you need technology and you need systems in place and you need processes that work and work well. Um, And this is not peculiar to you or the people you're talking to. I think lawyers, we have not been trained um, to be efficient in in the way that I'm speaking about because Mm -hmm. um, we are rooted in precedent. We are rooted in not making mistakes. We are never taught 
um, practical skills in law school. Everything is about law and precedent and regulations. Right. And then we are trained to, you know, figure out uh, the causes of action or file a complaint or do a licensing agreement. But we're never taught the technology that can be used to do any of that. So we have to, you know, law schools are starting to get the memo. Some law schools have progressed quite a bit in in providing at least their third-year lawyers some of these um, types of, of classes, but we have a long way to go. And law firms have a long way to go in terms of accepting that it is, in my view, unethical to ignore the availability of technology um, and what it does to your case and, and still provide services in the way that you did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, when you look at the model rules of professional conduct or you look at the federal rules of civil procedure, you will find in many places um, that you as a lawyer are required to provide competent representation. You need to be technologically, technologically competent to do so. And if you're not, you need to associate yourself with someone that is. So speedy representation, efficient representation, I think you bring up something really interesting here with our ethical obligation. And I bet it's something that a lot of people, a lot of attorneys and law firm owners have not considered is that by not um, embracing and, and, and researching and making discoveries with technology, that they may not uh, be able to provide the level of representation that their competitors do. Exactly. And I think it's very important to think about our duties um, as lawyers and our professional duties and responsibilities and our ethical obligations. That is really one of the two elephants in the room. The second elephant being the billable hour. Right. So tell me about that. Well, the billable hour um, promotes inefficiencies, right? If you can have a team of 20 attorneys reviewing documents for 10 months to produce documents and your client is paying for that, what is your incentive to make your that process last six weeks, which you absolutely can do um, if you listen to what I have to say. Um, so that is really has been a, a problem, uh, the elephant in the room, as I call it, mm -hmm. and something that also goes back to our ethical obligations and responsibilities because we are in the business of law and the business of law is not for profit it is for profit but is not to make money we are there to provide the best representation for our clients and that sometimes means that you have to relook and rethink about how you're doing um, your work and how you are providing those services well, uh, I think it is about making money, but I think there is a, there is a, you know, this is why we have our ethical rules is because there are obligations. We're self-regulating industry. So yeah. yes, you can make, but yes. you also can make money just because you don't keep a case for, you know, much longer. And instead you incorporate technology and you improve efficiency and you're moving cases through more quickly. This is where it's going to allow you the capacity for a lot more cases, right? Exactly. That is that is my whole, my whole pitch is that you are not looking at the big picture if you're only thinking about 
one case. You have yeah, to milking a client. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. The big picture yeah. includes volume and it includes your ability to bring in more clients and more cases and do them more efficiently and more quickly and get them to resolution so that you can get paid. So absolutely we are And we're also um, using auto we're also using automation. Um there there's gotta be a process for generating leads and a process for intake and a process for you know, so you're talking about automating from end to end, you know, do incorporating automation Absolutely. and setting up systems from end to end. So, yeah, I can definitely I can definitely see that. So I want to ask you before you know, we've got a few more minutes here, but before we end, I want to ask you, what do you um, what do you see when you go in and you're meeting with law firm owners for the first time and you're talking with them? Tell me some of the uh mistakes you think they're making, or maybe not mistakes, but way of doing things that you think they need to, would be good for them to start shifting the way that they think about it. So what are the challenges you're seeing? The, the first challenge that I see is the inability to think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. So one uh, phrase that comes up over and over again, is we've always done it this way mm-hmm. and we yeah. have always done it this way is the kiss of death for innovation and and the issue with saying that is that you will be left behind and I want to touch upon that point because with data and big data growing exponentially and with technology and the competition in the legal industry also growing exponentially um, including alternative legal services providers. And with the um, new regulations in Arizona and Utah that will allow for non-lawyers to own law firms, and with the big four accounting firms invading the legal space, there are so many reasons why the time to innovate is now and why you cannot say we've always done it that way because of the exponential um changes that are happening think about the iPhone only think about the iPhone we did not have an iPhone until 2007 do we imagine a way of functioning today without a smartphone we can't right. we can't uh, and it, this is how fast we are moving in technology and for lawyers to put their head in the sand and think this is not happening and I've always done it this way and my clients are okay with it it's is the absolutely the wrong way of thinking about this. And if they want a profitable business, then they have to get their head out of the sand and look around and make the changes for a true digital transformation. And for that, you need a very specific strategic plan and you need to map it out and you need to write it and you need to execute it. So, so one is always, I've always done it this way. There's one mistake. And two, thinking that, you know, Picking things ad hoc. Um, well, we need uh, a better budgeting system, or we need, I just need you to tell me how I do the discovery process better. So, all of that is fine. I can help you do that. But what we need to do is create a legal technology roadmap, is look at your firm holistically and look at how you're doing, you know, administrative tasks and look at how you're doing legal processes and figure out what things you need to innovate uh, these tasks and in what priority and then hitting them one at a time with Mm -hmm. 
strategic and very precise methodologies. Um, so I think that is also one one mistake, um, a second mistake, and a third mistake is thinking that it's too expensive. Right. So talk about that a little bit more. Um, well, technology is is really not that expensive. You, you you can, and I think I mentioned this already. A lot of the uh, software as a service um, is provided as subscription base uh, based on number of users. So, for example, you can automate your email management system and get uh, time entries pulled straight out of your email for, you know, maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year. And if you do that, you will be accumulating so much more time that you never write your time for because there is no time to to. You know, we live in a such a fast-paced world that we do a lot of work that never even gets registered in our time entries. For example, if you are billing by the hour, um, if you are doing um, a document review, if you get a litigation and your client says your budget is X, but you're spending 70% of that budget in discovery, then you're shortcutting yourself uh, with not having the money that you need to take the case to trial, which is the most important part of the case. So if you can allocate instead of 70% to discovery, 30% to discovery, then you'll have the money to do a much better case. So, so technology itself is not expensive. It's, it's, it's how you use it appropriately. And it's expensive if you buy it and nobody uses it, which is why you need to train your people and fix your processes and, and have everyone on the same page before you acquire technology, which is another uh, lean Six Sigma principle, is to have wow. everyone understanding what it is and why so that you have buy-in from within. Um, right. How many times have you heard, well, I bought that piece of software, no one in my office is using it, that was a waste of time and a waste of money and I'm never doing it again. But it was not brought in properly. So you need to, to find the right technology, you need to implement it the right way, and you need to have a plan adoption. And these right. are and steps that's taken. Right. And you, you, well, you bring up a, a good point about people. You know, this is part of your, this is a, a, a cultural thing. You know, if you have, I always say this, if, if you, I take and survey, you know, seven course meal on a beautiful, you know, out table outside and the sun is setting and we have a white tablecloth and, and candles and I serve it up to you that way, you're going to just think it's the most amazing meal ever. I could take the same meal and put it on a garbage can lid and you would be repulsed by it. And I think sometimes that is with leaders wanting to get, you know, use uh, new technology and incorporating systems. Oftentimes it's the way it's served up to your team and how you're going to serve it up and how you're going to say to them, this is something that we're going to do and how you get that buy-in into what they're doing to participate in it. In other words, you can't just buy it, put it in and go, okay, this is what we're doing now and expect that the, everybody's going to be on board with that on your team. So that's exactly. part of it as well. Um, and I Absolutely. do want to, and I do want to touch, sorry to interrupt, but I want to touch on whether the point that you made to have you address is when you're talking about uh, the cost of technology, if you are a business owner, you really, if you are still thinking of expense, 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 and you're not thinking of return on investment, that is a mindset shift that you have to start making as a business owner. 
if I'm investing in this, what is going to be the return on it? And what you're talking about are very, you know, the examples you've given are very significant returns, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that it has, you know, there's case studies, we have uh, data on what uh, money or monies can be saved on different types of technologies. Um, and the return on investment is huge. And a lot of times it's not only the return on the investment itself, but it's your ability to reduce the, ex the expenses on your human workforce piece. So those uh, people are either, you're either going to place them into doing more productive tasks at a higher billable hour, or you find out that administrative costs can be cut down and you may not need as many people as, as you were hiring before to do certain types of tasks. Mm. Um, outsourcing IT, outsourcing uh, the junior and mid-level attorney work, um, outsourcing a lot of the technology consulting, outsourcing a lot of these aspects of your law practice can save you a lot of money. Um, and, and you have to, that's why I think you have to think of it as a strategic plan and you have to look at the numbers and you have to look at your priorities. But undoubtedly, using technology is more efficient and more cost effective. Right. And you're also talking about getting your own time back, which is huge for people because as I polled uh, uh, women in my community and asked them, why did you start your law firm? And women law firm owners across the board, the highest uh, number one reason was because they wanted flexibility and they wanted more time for their family or, you know, whatever other personal interests they have. And, and then we get into the, the doing and the work and, because we don't stop and take time to look at the big picture and look at our processes and our systems and our team um, and try to think of ways to do things more efficiently and how to automate and how to leverage, we often find ourselves right. working more than ever, right? Uh, exactly. I and mean, it's planning and it's not being penny wise but pound foolish right right, right. It, it's both of those things i thought you brought up something interesting earlier when you said that attorneys you know we live in this world of tradition and precedent when you said precedent i'm like oh yeah this is so true that attorneys are uh, especially when you're talking about uh more established law firms that have been around for a while you know there's that older partners that have turned over to new partners and there's this there's such, uh, in the legal profession, there's such a legacy uh, and, of tradition and traditional way of doing things. And the whole, and when we look at the law, it's built on precedent. So we're always going back and going, well, what did they do in, you know, in that case in 1937? <laughs> and, you know, so this is how we're sort of trained to think. But if we're, but as a business owner, you have to always be looking at toward the future and what's going to be coming down the pipeline. And we're seeing, as you said, some seismic shifts uh, in some states where now people who are not lawyers are being, non-lawyers are being allowed to give legal advice. And, you know, LegalZoom was a huge seismic shift. And I think it really shook a lot of people to the core. Um, and, you know, but that's a perfect example of somebody who leveraged technology and completely changed the way legal services are brought to clients. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is really the, it levels the playing field. And I think when you think about change management and why change management is so hard, there's many reasons in, that we've already addressed some of them. But the fact that Generation X is still um, leading the charge in a lot of large law firms, and, and even if you, if you go on your own, you're probably at this stage that you're very senior and, and you haven't been trained this way. So we need to change the way we think. We need to embrace technology to really be competitive in this new world. And I think it's very important um, for women business owners and law firm owners to understand that just because in you know the big law firm things are done this way um, and they may not be done as effectively and efficiently, that you cannot do it better and faster and more um, effectively by, by using technology and leveraging different types of skill sets. And I think it is going to be, eventually, everyone will end up changing. I think that a lot of the, the, the challenges to innovation that come from not having leaders that embrace technology and change, um, as more millennials get to that position where they can um, uh, affect change management, they, they will do so. Because mm -hmm. a leader is the most, the key to success to any innovation initiative is whether the leader of the firm um, of your project is fully in it or not. Right. So if you have a leader that give, gives innovation lip service and doesn't really mean it and it's not for him, you go do it, it's never going to work. You really have to have a culture change, meaning not only what you encourage, but also what you tolerate. You have to say, we are not doing things this way anymore. and and But not that top heavy but but you have to really change the way things are done uh, by having the leaders understand why and then imparting their own leadership into the whole organization and saying this is how we're going to do things and this is why and explaining um, you know we typically have at the beginning of any project um, a half a day workshop talking about why we're thinking of doing whatever change or implementation we're doing and listening to what the team says about that and then taking those things into consideration to make the implementation and the adoption work. So you must be able to do that. But in every case where I can tell you, you know, without any doubt, this initiative was a success. In every case, I've had the full backing of, of the leader of of the of the law firm or the legal department right. so that the the number one person has said yes this makes sense yes let's do this right absolutely it it's, begins and ends with you if you own the mm -hmm. if you own the law firm and i i and so i want people to uh, lead this with an understanding that um i think so many of us when we think we have generations that have grown up on social media and and so when they think of oh technology you know marketing my law firm social media right and so that's where where a lot of people are thinking technology is is in attracting clients and and that kind of thing and they may not be thinking about their fulfillment processes and and i really want them to leave with an understanding today that this is there's a tremendous opportunity here to be a a pioneer and a leader in this area and really 
leverage your services um, in a way that's going to to allow you to create a very profitable business. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Technology, yeah. 100%. Technology is so much more than just use it for marketing. Technology is um, to be used internally to automate your processes for collaboration tools, for um, document management systems, contract management systems. Uh, business intelligence is one of them, uh, competitive mm -hmm. intelligence that is sort of related to marketing but not quite the same. Um, you know, have the ability to data mine what you have already done so you know how long it took you so that you can provide not only a billable rate but a, an alternative fee arrangement that may be more appealing to clients nowadays. Right. There's so many things you can do. I mean, the, the, last year was the highest year that I have data for, for legal technology investment. And it was by the third quarter, um, technology legal tech investment in particular was at $1.4 billion. And that represents an enormous growth. And the year before it was like a 700% growth. And wow. this year I can only see that number bigger. So there is the, the availability and the number of tools out there to do so many things is mind boggling. So what I try to do is to break that down into silos. You know, what type of collaboration tools can you use? What type of email management tools can you use? What type of document review tools can you use? And then guide you through those processes so you can look at a bucket, look at your options, look at your budget and pick what's best for you. But there are many different buckets. Technology is not one, you know, is not use it Salesforce for marketing. Technology is so much more than that. Right, right. So tell us how we can find out more about Carta Legal and get in touch with you if you want to do that. Well, we have a website, of course, cartalegal.com. Um, so we can um, send people there and they can take a look at what our services are. And there is a contact form and, and we can give you a call if you're interested in any of our services. Or you can reach me at um, lslater at cartalegal.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely include that uh, web address in the show notes for the podcast episode. So uh, anybody who wants to follow up, that's the way to do it. And uh, Lourdes, I so appreciate you being here today and uh, and discussing this very important topic with us because I know it's it's on the minds of so many people. And as we go into 2021, I know it's going to be a huge part of a lot of people's uh, annual planning. So thank you again. Thank you so much for having I enjoy uh, for having me here. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework 
that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. Lead is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.